The reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, starting at 18. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have ours as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Morning, everybody. Um, Good to see you. Uh, we're back in our passage in Philippians we just had read. Uh, you may remember from earlier that this passage is bracketed uh, with a little phrase from the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 4 in chapter 4, where we are told to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. Well, as we begin, let's just pray that through this passage, the Lord would help us to do that. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, amidst the uncertainties that we all face at the moment, because of COVID, because of political uncertainty, because of loss and pain and hardship, Lord, we confess we often don't feel much like rejoicing. But as we study your word now, even if we don't feel joyful, please, would you, by your Holy Spirit, Fill our hearts with joy in Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, this passage is uh, full of joy, isn't it? Yeah, there's a warning, um, but full of joy. Um, And I think we could summarise it a little bit like this. Paul says, join together. In other words, don't go it alone in following his example. Because many in the world live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they oppose the gospel. But our citizenship is in heaven. So instead of living like enemies of the cross, stand firm in the Lord. Now, I think the passage pivots around verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I was preparing for this morning, three questions leapt at me from uh, this passage, particularly that verse. But what does it mean, firstly, that our citizenship is in heaven? And secondly, what does it mean to eagerly await Christ's second coming? And thirdly, And practically, how are we to stand firm? 
Well, firstly, then, what does it mean that our citizenship is in heaven? Well, the first thing to notice is that Paul uses the present tense. See, if you are trusting in Jesus as your saviour and Lord, you are a citizen of heaven now, today. You see, he doesn't say we are eagerly awaiting a decision on citizenship, does he? We already have it. And what that means is that our citizenship, our eternal salvation is safe and secure. It means that we have now, today, the privileges of citizenship in heaven. Assurances of sins forgiven, for example. Certainty that when we face judgment, we face it as one already reconciled with God through Christ. Of eternal union with Christ. The right to dwell in the city of God. Rights as children adopted into God's family, to name just a few. Gaining citizenship in a country that you were not born into, as we've heard previously, requires a lot of form filling, a lot of hard work and payment of a fairly hefty fee. However, for the Christian, all the work of gaining citizenship in heaven is done for us. I wonder if you noticed, as Victoria was reading, that reference in verse 18 to the cross of Christ. That's the historic event that makes our citizenship in heaven possible. Now, of course, some people refuse that offer of citizenship. They turn down all the benefits that citizenship entails. And they're missing out on the most glorious thing. Did you notice the effect that had on Paul? It moves him to tears. So full of compassion and love is he for those people who, like he used to, reject Christ. Just briefly in passing on that point, I'm sure that like me, many of you here have people who you love, who are dear to you, who thus far are rejecting citizenship in heaven, rejecting the offer of the gospel. And we know many people in our parish, don't we, who similarly turn away from Christ. Perhaps like Paul, we should be weeping for them, not just kind of in a psychological way, but actually weeping. Move to tears so that our tears will drive us to prayer that the Lord would call them to himself. But back in our passage, just note briefly four things that Paul says about those people who he calls enemies of the cross in verse 19. Firstly, they're heading to destruction. And that's a pretty unpopular message today, isn't it? But the reality is that refusing the offer of salvation in Christ results in what Jesus described in Matthew 25 as eternal punishment. Secondly, they've swallowed a lie. The lie is that they themselves are somehow God, 
That's my rather loose translation of their God is their stomach. See, they see no need for any external help. They don't need a God. They just follow whatever their human sensualities drive them to. Pleasing self, self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment, self-promotion. Those are the sort of things that are the mantra of society today. Now, I'm not for one moment suggesting, by the way, that it's wrong to try hard, to work hard, to do one's best, to push oneself, to take opportunities, to look for challenges in life. But let's not be deceived into thinking that those things have any eternal merit. Thirdly, those enemies of the cross glory in their shame. I don't think I need to say too much about what that looks like. You only have to look at the schedule on the television to see things that people are using as entertainment that should make the toes curl and make us close our eyes in shame. They glory in things of shame. And fourthly, they've set their minds on earthly things. I think that's probably where all of this roots from. In Colossians 3, Paul expands this thought, defining those earthly things as sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And as a result of those things, the world is in a mess, isn't it? The world is full of hatred. There's war. There's division, there's injustice, there's sickness, there's poverty, there's selfishness, there's unkindness, there's spitefulness. And we all, Christians alike too, fall into sin and fail to put Jesus in his rightful place as Lord of every corner of our lives. Evidently, being citizens of heaven, which we are, doesn't mean that everything about us is perfect yet. And the reason is that while we are citizens of heaven, for the time being, we live here, don't we? In the same world that's still marred by all those effects of sin. You see, just as it's possible to be a citizen of Britain, but live overseas in another country, or vice versa, so this world isn't our true home, our permanent home. As John Stott put it, already we are God's sons and daughters, no longer slaves. Not yet have we entered the glorious freedom of the children of God. There is a not yet to come. And until such time, Paul still calls on us to rejoice in the Lord. Why rejoice in him? Because Christ will come again, verse 20, and bring everything under his control and will transform our bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? So secondly, what does it mean 
to eagerly await Christ's second coming. Well, firstly, the adverb eagerly tells us that our waiting is not passive. Jeanette talked earlier about the excitement with which we look forward to things. In this context, remember that the church is under attack, verse 2 of chapter 3, and there are enemies of the cross of Christ that we've just been looking at. And therefore, Paul urges the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 1, to stand firm. Don't let your guard down. Don't forget your citizenship. And don't forget the not yet what is to come. Because nothing, verse 7, has anything of value compared to knowing Christ. You see, our citizenship is secure. But we're not simply to put on our slippers, sit in our rocking chair, drink our drink and wait while the sun sets. No, instead, we are to follow Paul's example. We are to strain forward. Verse 13, we're to press on. Verse 14, towards the goal. And Paul contrasts us as Christians with the enemies of the cross using a big capital letters, but in verse 20. In effect, he says, everything about the Christian is different. Now, now don't mishear that. He's not saying everything about the Christian is better than them, but we are different to the enemies of Christ that Paul has been describing. You see, as Christians, we're not destined to destruction. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Instead, we await a saviour from heaven who saves us from the destiny that we of ourselves deserve. We await a saviour to bring us to an altogether different and better destination. Ephesians 2 verse 1 puts it this way. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, by the way, when you see but God in the Bible, look carefully, it means something big. But God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. That's how we became citizens of heaven. That's why our destiny is not destruction. Because we were dead, but God. You see, the Christian is not focused on herself or himself, but on Christ. The Christian sees this current life, this failing body, as something that's temporary. Look at the end of verse 21. Ultimately, we await a body that will be like Christ's glorious body. I don't think that means that we'll be like him physically, but that we'll receive in final perfection the total, complete salvation he won for us on the cross. You see, our citizenship is already won and secured. 
amidst all that's going on in our world, let's enjoy that truth. And then on that great day, when Christ returns, when everything will be brought under his control, we will be transformed at last into our heavenly bodies. But until that time, says Paul, we are to stand firm. As citizens of heaven, how are we to stand firm? How can we encourage each other in this task of eagerly awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus? Because there's huge pressures, aren't there? There are huge challenges in our world. I mentioned some of them earlier. There's the current situation because of COVID. There's all the political turmoil. There's the uncertainty that all of this brings to do with what's uh, with, with people's jobs, with people's livelihoods. And alongside all of that, the church, as it was in Philippi, is under attack. Society that we live in looks less and less Christian as the weeks pass by. So let's think through three uh, brief suggestions that we could do to help each other to stand firm in our faith. Firstly, don't go alone. We see that in verse 17, the beginning of our passage. Paul says, join together in following my example. You see, being a Christian is not a solo thing. Attending church, however regularly, doesn't make you a Christian, but it is a vital and required part of living as a Christian. Friends, let's make meeting together a priority. Yes, I know, I know we can't physically meet together at the moment. But even if it's only possible with our technology, let's make it the most important thing. Now, it may be even so that you can't perhaps be at every Sunday morning, maybe because of work or other commitments. It may be that you can't always be at your crow group, maybe because of work, or maybe because all day at work you've been staring at Zoom and you need a break from it. That's okay. But don't let that be a reason that you stop meeting with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's find a way, whether it's by going for a walk with two people that we're currently allowed to do, whether it's by making a phone call to keep in touch, because none of us is strong enough to do this on our own. So don't go it alone. Secondly, look back to the cross and look forwards to Christ's return. Remember the cross of Christ and what he has saved you from, but don't stop there. Look forward to what he has saved you for and what he has saved you to. Your ultimate transformation as he who has power to do it transforms your lowly body to be like his glorious body through all eternity. 
And even when life circumstances are such that you really just don't feel like rejoicing. Friends, I have times like that. I don't feel that happy. Things are hard. I'm disappointed because things I wanted to do, I'm not allowed to do. Or maybe you just feel too sad or the situation currently is too worrying. Friends, can I invite you to choose to be joyful in Christ, even though you don't feel joyful in yourself? The psalmist very often cries out in anguish to the Lord. And I think it's good and okay for us to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I find no joy in my current circumstances. But please, by your spirit, will you fill me with joy in you? Reminding me that you've got me securely as a citizen in your kingdom. And then perhaps find some of those Psalms, find some of those glorious passages of scripture to read and meditate on and churn over in your mind that remind you of your citizenship in heaven, of your union with Christ, of your ultimate destiny. And finally, be honest with yourself and seek support. We started our passage, didn't we, with Paul saying, join together, don't go it alone. So admit your own temptations, your own tendencies to just want to opt for the easy life. To forget about your spiritual inheritance, to forget about your citizenship, to just think, oh, it's all too much effort. Can I really be bothered? Friends, that is a temptation to sin, isn't it? To ignore what the Lord Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. But it's very real. I feel it regularly. Can I encourage you at such times, seek out somebody. It might be your husband or wife. It might be a brother or sister in Christ. Somebody whom you trust, who you could go to and say, would you pray for me? I'm really finding it hard right now. I'm really struggling. You see, none of us is free from the temptation to follow the false promise of an easy life. Well, finally, in closing, uh, let me read once more verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with great rejoicing, friends, as citizens of his kingdom, let us await actively, eagerly, his coming in glory again. Let us await that day when our feeble, failing bodies are gloriously made like his glorious body. And let that turn us to say with Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are conscious of our own temptation. 
to go the easy road, to forget the wonderful things that you have won for us at great cost to yourself. Father, I pray as we go into this week with all the challenges that we may face, that you protect us from that temptation and that you would help us lift our gaze to Jesus and be full of joy in him, even when we don't feel joyful in ourselves. Help us, Father, with that, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.